All right. Good day, everyone. Welcome to AE Live. Tonight, we have a special guest directly from one of aviation's most important teams, assisting aviation at nearly every corner. Now, AOPA stands for the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. Now, they are a member-run organization that assists with keeping our airports open when other forces want to see them get closed down. Now, they help pilots navigate the legal minefields, and they provide advice for how to keep your medical certificate safe from the FAA. They personally actually just helped me out with Cami as well. And our guest tonight is the technical editor for AOPA magazine and author of a recent article on rusty and dusty pilots. With that, let's welcome our guest tonight, Jill Tellman. Hi, Jill. Hi, Bob. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm really happy to have you with us. Um, Jill, I, I wanted to have you on. And again, I appreciate you joining. Um, you know, about half of our members here at Civil Air Patrol are cadets. They're between the ages of 12 and 21. And a really good portion of them are are either already in flight training or they are interested in flight training. Now, mm -hmm. a lot of them, um, you know, I uh, somebody yelled at me today for uh, for using CFI and, and not not saying what that meant. Everybody might not know what CFI means. And so, a lot of folks um, when they're starting to learn or they're interested in learning how to fly, they see AOPA, but they're not really sure what that is. It's just a bunch of letters. So, can you do us a favor? Can you explain what? is AOPA, what does AOPA do for us as aviation and why do we wanna be a part of it? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, AOPA stands, and a lot of our members call us AOPA, but that's beside the point. Um, it stands for Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. Now you may hit upon the, the word aircraft owner and think, well, I'm not an aircraft owner and I'm not yet a pilot. Well, that's okay. Um, we are we have over three hundred thousand members, and our members range from people who own airplanes and airline pilots to general aviation pilots like me, uh, and student pilots, and also aviation enthusiasts. We welcome everybody. So, um, so for the students now, you guys actually have a specific magazine. You have several magazines. Um, and one of the magazines that you guys uh, promote is called Flight Training. Um, that's that's and, correct. And so for those that are watching, it's just this magazine here. I think this was uh, either the most recent or, or one of the most recent. Um, and I had to make sure before I show this, I had to black out my address. <laughs> so um, people are going to know where I live. But um, uh, so with this magazine specifically, what's your target audience? What's your target audience? And how would folks that are interested in student um, you know, flight training, how would they get their hands on this? Flight Training is the, the only magazine aimed basically at student pilots. Um, we have a lot of readers who are longtime pilots and they like to read the material just to get a refresher, but we go through the nuts and bolts of flight training. We discuss maneuvers, we discuss the regs, we teach you how to you know, look at the weather, and uh, you know, make your forecasts as accurately as you can. We tell you what to expect on your check ride. We tell you how not to bust your check ride. We tell you how to be a good pilot citizen. Um, you know, we try to do it all. And we can, that's available, Flight Training Magazine is available. Uh, if you are a regular AOP mem AOPA member, it is available as part of your membership. If you are not a member, you can get a free six month membership oh, cool. to AOPA. And that will get you six issues of the magazine plus all the other benefits of being a member of AOPA. So that includes complete access to our website, which has many, many tools for student pilots, including a flight planner, a weather tool, an airport directory. Um, let's see if I can share a screen for you. Um, so what you want to do is go to www.aopa.org and um, www.aopa.org and uh, let's see here. Training and safety will take you to all of our t uh, safety topics and then membership is where you can sign up. And like I said, you, you, uh, there are different levels of membership, but you can get, if you've never been an AOPA member, you can get a free six months membership to AOPA. Uh, and um, 
I highly recommend you do that. Yeah, I'll throw that link down below as well. Um, you know, the other thing I noticed on there too, a lot of our the listeners here, especially our younger cadets, they, they, they're getting more and more into drones, right? And I noticed, um, and I actually didn't know this, and it makes a lot of sense that um, you guys also seems like you have a drone membership program as well. So uh, we do indeed. Yeah, we do have a drone membership and it's growing all the time as drones, uh, as drones grow in popularity. Mm -hmm. We want drone pilots to be um, good citizens of the air as much as, you know, uh, pilots of full size air aircraft. Um, we want drone pilots to know how to safely enjoy their drones and not get themselves in trouble by operating in airspace that they're not supposed to be operating in or coming you know, too close to, to other aircraft. Um, so there's also available, there's also information about that membership on the website, uh, www.aopa.org. You can also call us during, the, uh, during business hours, uh, Monday through Friday, and that's 1-800-USA-AOPA. And any one of our customer service reps will be happy to explain all the membership options to you and talk you through it and get you all signed up. And I also want to mention, Bob, um, I know that a lot of your readers are not, uh, they may not be analog readers. Mm -hmm. uh, they may like the digital. We got you covered. We have digital versions of all of our magazines and uh, you, can, you can request that when mm -hmm. you set up your membership. You know, um, I want to go back to the drone thing real quick. Um, no. You know, I talked to the FAA. I talked to the FAA probably more than I probably should. But um, so I talked to the FAA and, um, you know, one of the things they said was actually really interesting. Well, because you, you, I want to say this because you mentioned about not getting in trouble with the FAA. Um, the FAA, at least the people I talked to, said that they look at the drone program as the future Pilots of America program. Um, and so, you know, some people like they're taking like their, their, um, their 107, which is a regulation for commercial drone pilots. Um, and a lot of those folks are, they're getting very similar training to what a very basic pilot would get, uh, Correct. in airspace and weather and things of that nature, how to read Correct. weather reports. And, um, and some of those folks, you know, it's a really good jumping point. So if you're somebody say watching this or listening to this and you are, Thinking about being a pilot, but you're not, you just, you know, you don't have the money yet. I mean, let's be honest, aviation's expensive. You know, there's no way around it. Um, you know, but you can afford a $150 drone and you want to get more involved in aviation and drone is your way into it. AOPA is a good way to help with that. Um, and, you know, definitely, you know, the FAA wants you to be involved um, as a drone pilot. So uh, definitely, definitely take that opportunity. Um, now, I, I wanted to get specifically into your article. So you wrote a really great article, and thank you very much for, for taking the time to write it. And it is Rusty and Dusty Pilots. So let me, uh, let me show a picture here. Now, is this a picture of you? Yes, this, uh, that's a picture <laughs> of me pre-COVID. Um, yep. With my, you know, I'm, you're looking at my COVID grow out right now. <laughs> right. So, uh, so, so um, the reason why this is so important now is a lot of us that are pilots, um, you know, we haven't had an opportunity to fly as much. Now that can be aviation pilot, like uh, professional pilots that have been furloughed. Um, I have some folks I've talked to that I consider my friends in aviation that actually some of them, you know, uh, one person worked for an airline that actually shut down. Like it wasn't even a furlough. It was like they actually shut down the whole airline. Um, and so they're finding themselves, you know, with six, seven months. Um, you know, so a lot of people think, you know, we're talking about pilots, like, you know, general aviation pilots, you know, they're flying 172s and they're like, well, you can still fly a 172. That's true for general aviation. But if you're a professional airline pilot, uh, you got furloughed, you may not have flown for seven or eight or nine months. Um, right. you know, you may be looking for a job still, right. um, you know, hoping to find something when we get on the other side of this COVID thing. So, so what, what was the, what, why did you want to write this specific article on Rusty and Dusty? And what did you find out by, by writing it? Up until COVID, I had flown very regularly. I owned a Piper Cherokee 140 for the last 10 years. And I flew every week. I flew 50 to 60 hours a, a year. Mm -hmm. I took long trips. Um, and I just love to get out and just fly, you know, take off and do three takeoffs and landings in the pattern every week. Um, and I knew that airplane very well. And I was very, it was like putting on a pair of old shoes. I was very comfortable in it. Um, so I sold that airplane 
in 2019 and I bought a share of a Cessna 182, uh, also here at Frederick, Maryland. I'm a one seventh owner of a Cessna 182Q now. Um, <laughs> I wanted a, a bigger and faster airplane. I wanted to do more traveling. If you've ever flown in a Piper Cherokee, you know that travel really wasn't what it was designed to do. It's a fantastic trainer and I loved having it very inexpensive to operate and maintain. But it took me, you know, I took it down to Florida um, uh, a couple years ago and then to the Bahamas. And it took me two days to get down to Florida. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, oh. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, I sold the airplane. I got into this 182. And uh, it got to be, let's see, it got to be December. And then, it, you know, it went into annual. And the annual took longer than usual. And so it was out of commission for several weeks. And then uh, COVID really hit. And um, it was, you know, it was now it's February. It's getting into March. And February is not, it, I'm in Maryland. February is not the greatest time to fly. Um, you know, it's still cold. It's still a lot of gloomy days. So, you know, then February rolls by and then it gets into March and now COVID's locking in mm -hmm. pretty good. And people are like, I don't know if I can, if I should fly with somebody else in the cockpit, you know, not even just to have somebody in the right seat with me. Okay, well, let's wait and see how that pans out. So then it gets to be April and then it gets to be May. You know? yeah. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, you're, you know, here I am, somebody who's flown every week has gone months without flying. And when I had the opportunity to do it, I, I knew I no longer was going to be comfortable just jumping in the airplane and going. Yeah, no. So I, I do have a question. So you actually have a, 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 you had a specific issue with your aircraft, and I, I think anyways, and that's that you had partial ownership. So yeah. you had to almost worry about, okay, you know, you had to almost sanitize the airplane. You, know, you had to worry about sanitizing the airplane to some regards. Um, that's, that's correct. And, you know, at the very start of the pandemic, you could not lay your hands on Clorox wipes. Right. And that was the one thing that I thought, you know, I really want to have in the hangar to clean the, the yoke and, you know, and, and everything else that I would come in contact and, you know, to keep to keep myself safe and to keep my partner safe. And you couldn't even get them, you know, so it was it became another reason to just kind of keep the keep the airplane in the hangar and not go flying. It's really amazing to think that something that we normally pre-COVID would have thought about so simple as just Clorox wipes mm -hmm. can ground pilots, you know, that yeah. are worried about touching surfaces that other pilots have touched that, you know, you listen, I, you know, I, I stay out of politics on this show at all costs. Um, so, but, you know, but we know that at the very minimum, the viruses, viruses in general can be transferred by touching the same objects as other people. So um, you know, so we, it's, it is amazing, you know, how, when something happens, our manufacturing, I don't know manufacturing is the right word, but you know, our supplies of everyday objects like Clorox wipes can really shut down, um, a large portion of the, of an industry. So I thought that was interesting when you said it was, you were a partial owner. I, I do have a question not to bounce around too yeah. much, but that's the way I roll. No, no. I like bouncing around. So, so <laughs> I was a little kid. I probably had one of those little bouncing balls. I would just yeah, I exactly see that. <laughs> um, so um, partial ownership. Um, one of the questions that we have quite a bit on this show is with our student pilots is should I buy an airplane, right? Or should I continue to rent an airplane? Um, I think the overall thing I keep hearing all the time is roughly the hundred hour mark. If you're flying more than hundred hours, you really should own your own airplane. Um, but you know, but for student pilots, um, for those that can find the partial ownership, like you said, I think you said you were one seventh. So one seventh of one now one eighty two. I would not recommend for a new pilot. It's a high performance Correct. airplane. And, and, and for those that are watching this, they're going to get sick of me hearing this. The one eighty two, for what it's worth for general aviation is my favorite airplane. Um, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, it takes a beating if you land hard. Um, it's not the fastest. It doesn't carry the most weight. Um, but it does a lot of that stuff really adequately great for, for the majority of the missions you put it on. Um, mm -hmm. And it's close enough to a 172 that you can migrate to it relatively quickly. 
Oh, uh, I couldn't agree with you more. I love the 182. Um, that's actually uh, Civil Air Patrol is one of our, our most popular airplanes in Civil Air Patrol is a 182. Right. Um, so would you recommend people, you know, student pilots looking to either purchase outright or possibly trying to find a partial ownership? You know, I think it's worth exploring that avenue. Um, you you know, it's an ownership. When you if you get into a partnership, um, there's going to be insurance issues that you'll have to kind of work through especially if both of you are student pilots or one of you is a student pilot, but your broker can help you with that. Um, I would say, particularly if this is something that you wanna make a career, you see yourself doing for the rest of your life, um, absolutely explore a partnership or even a flying club. You know, maybe you don't have to um, go into, you know, be an owner, but go to go to uh, get on with a flying club, and you're going to see cheaper uh, instructional rates. You're going to see cheaper hourly rates, and uh, you're going to make a whole new bunch of good friends. And uh, at our website has a flying club finder for anybody who would like to look and see if there's a club in their area that's uh, accepting new members. Yeah, I want to add a little. I want to take what you said and add to it a little bit. Um, especially if you want to do this long term, even if you want, even if you're just a general, even if you only want to ever be a general aviation pilot, um, which is still a great thing to do. Um, the community and people, again, people hear me talk about this all the time, but community, 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 um, whether, you know, I mean, just finding those aviation friends, um, you know, because, because one of the ways to share or to lower the cost of flying is to share the cost of flying. Um, you know, if it, it, flying by yourself can be very lonely and boring. Um, if you put another person or two or three or four and you're doing a trip to Oshkosh, you know, um, it's, uh, it, it all of a sudden becomes one of the most fun things you'll ever do in your life. Um, and if you are going to do this professionally, uh, it is a very small community. And so one of the best ways to find a job is through word of mouth. So if you have a great attitude and you work hard and people learn who you are and they see that you're, especially for my cadets, uh, if you're interested in doing this, even in the military, um, you know, you get that reputation around the aviation community that you are a hard worker. You're going to find that that's really one of the top ways to get where you want to go. So, um, and AOPA, I think does a great job of helping facilitate that again, because AOPA is a member. It is not, um, it's not some like corporation, evil corporation that wants your money. This is really a member driven organization. So we are, and, um, so many people in our organization, well, Everybody in our organization is passionate about our mission. Um, and so many of us are pilots and aircraft owners and we live and breathe this stuff. And, you know, we just want to make it, we want to make it available for everybody. Yep. Um, now going on to another question, going back to your article. So mm -hmm. what were some of the things that you found started lacking? So if somebody hasn't been flying for a few months, um, I didn't fly for a long time. So um, somebody didn't fly for a few months or even longer. What were some of the skills that folks really need to be watch out for? Maybe even, you know, hook back up with a CFI or a certified flight instructor, um, you know, to try to dust off some of those skills. What, what, what do you recommend? Oh, absolutely. Well, absolutely. If you have any, any, uh, inkling that you're, that you might be uncomfortable, you, you want to find a flight instructor. It's, there's no shame in that game. I mean, they're just, they're just there to, you know, I call it, you know, I, I call up my friend, who, uh, Brenda Tibbs, and I say, I need you to babysit me. <laughs> and she knows what that means. Uh, <laughs> um, so, you know, you want to, you want to make sure that you're, you're following your checklist for one thing. That was something that I was like, I wasn't following a checklist. I was trying to do things from memory. That's not good. Um, so I was bad on that. The 182 is, um, is the, uh, is the um, has the manifold pressure, mm -hmm. and um, I had to kind of go through the different RPM and manifold pressure settings again because it's not like when you just get into a, a fixed pitch, a, a fixed pitch prop, and just you know shove the throttle forward and away you go. So I had to uh, work through those settings again. Um, I also had to remind myself how the 182 lands differently than the Cherokee, uh, and you can't have can't have Piper feet on a 182. 
Um, and I also, uh, my, my radio technique, which is a crapshoot at any time, <laughs> uh, was off. You know? <laughs> and I, that was kind of surprising to me. <laughs> so. Yeah, I was talking with Jill prior to uh, starting, and um, I was relaying to Jill that I was amazed at how fast the communication skill set went away. Um, you know, it was like you get on the radio, it's like you forget how to talk, and it's like you get the air traffic controllers, they start talking at you real fast, and you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> you almost started feeling a student, like a student pilot again, um, learning how to talk. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was so bad. I, you know, I thought, well, I bet these controllers are having a good old time listening to this. <laughs> yeah, you, you're, you're a couple thousand hour pilot and they're in the they're in control tower going, well, we got to be careful with this one. We got yeah, a student exactly. pilot on a solo. <laughs> so um, so um, now with student training, so you guys also do a really nice job of trying to help folks, you know, um, learn how to get the most out of their flight training. What, what do you guys, what's some of the, the major recommendations? Let's say I've got a student pilot, um, one of my cadets who's 16 and he or she wants to go learn how to fly and mom and dad are, you know, that, you know, they, they say, yep, we'll, we'll pony up the cash. So what's one of the recommendations that you would have? I'm actually going to do a twofold question to this. I've never asked a second question before. The first question is what recommendations do you have for that new young student pilot? Um, maybe not, you know, a, maybe not an adult, but somebody younger. And then second, what recommendations do you have for their parents? Okay. Um, well, for young people, young people, I'm, I'm so jealous of young people getting into flying because they have eye-hand coordination that, that I and many people in my generation don't have because we didn't grow up with video games. Mm -hmm. um, so they're coming out of the gate. They are, their eye-hand coordination skills are much better. And so they've already got a jump start. Um, so... Um, I would say that when uh, young people are learning to fly, the way that you can, you know, continue to make progress and to get ahead is to always review what, you know, what you've learned after each lesson with your flight instructor, you know, and then when, when you set up your next lesson, uh, ask your flight instructor, what are we going to do? How do I prepare for it? And then do the prep work, be prepared. Um, to to do all that stuff. If you come prepared, you're making your you're, you're going to be a dream student. You're making your flight instructor so happy, and you're going to progress faster. Um, if you can fly more often than once a week, if you have it within your budget and your time to fly two to three times a week, that's even better because you won't have a chance to you know things won't go stale on you. Um, so if you have that opportunity, so it, it doesn't always work out sometimes with weather and with our, you know, and especially high school students, they have so many other things they've got to do. But if you can make it work, fly two or three times a week, you're going to progress like lightning. Um, as you know, you asked me about uh, the parents of students. Yeah, the parents of the younger pilots. Um, First of all, I would just like to say to parents of younger pilots, thank you for allowing your child to um, get into an airplane with somebody you don't really know. Mm -hmm. And if I have two children and I, I know I know what that's like. You know? um, the, thing, the thing I want you to remember is that flight instruction is one of the safest forms of general aviation flying. Your flight instructor is not going to let anything happen to your child. Uh, he, he or she does not want anything to happen to your child. Um, I want parents to also understand that general aviation airplanes are maintained to a higher standard than, than our cars are. So um, they don't just fall apart in the sky while we're flying them. Um, uh, General aviation airplanes are maintained to a rigid schedule, especially those that are rented to flight schools that flight schools run out. They're maintained on a very uh, specific schedule and they're usually always in good shape. And then the other thing I would like to tell parents um, is that little airplanes just don't fall out of the sky. <laughs> right. um, when we have engine failures or things like that, the airplane glides and student pilots are trained how to land airplanes 
in those circumstances. It is not a situation where, you know, the engine cuts out and our hands go (laughs) up and that's the end of it. Uh, No. Uh, We spend a lot of time training for that eventuality. And um, because, you know, uh, it hasn't happened to me, knock wood, but I know a lot of pilots that it has happened to. And they land off airport Mm. and it's not with with the proper training. It's not a big deal. Yeah, you see the Bush pilots, they hardly ever land at an airport. Exactly. (laughs) They're always landing off airport. Exactly. Um, you know, and the other thing I thought that, you know, it's, it's really interesting. I love Carrie Underwood. I love country music, right? But she has a song, you know, Jesus Take the Wheel, right? Where, that's not aviation. <laughs> <laughs> right, so, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, you know, emergency, emergency operations is a very large part of aviation training. Uh, yes. And the other thing that, that I would say for parents, and even for anybody interested or nervous about flying, is when you, if you're landing an airplane, even without the engine running, those airplanes, they stay in the air perfectly fine, you know, at 50 to 60 miles an hour. Um, You know, in our case, about 40, you know, we we say knots, right? So 40 to 50 knots. So, you know, about 50 to 60 miles an hour. So when you're driving to the airport and you're going 65, 70 miles an hour, you're actually traveling faster than what the airplane would be touching down at if you lost your engine and had to glide. So exactly. Um, so, you know, and nobody freaks out when they're driving on the thruway surrounded by tons of other cars. Um, right. You know, well, I do a little. Yeah. Yeah. Especially <laughs> depending on some of these drivers out there nowadays. But um, unfortunately, COVID didn't keep some of the whack jobs home. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, but um, but anyway, so, yeah. So I think that's really important. Um, there was another question I had on that. Oh, what was it now? Oh, oh I remember what it was. Um, you talked about um, uh, flying. I actually had two, one question for you and one comment, I guess. So sure. the question I had was, do you, do you recommend that students do their ground school um, prior to starting actual hands-on flying lessons? Okay, so that's a tough one. And it, it really depends on what kind of a learner you are. Um, there are visual learners. These people need to see everything before they can do it. They need to have it demonstrated. There are... Um, I, I can't, off the top of my head, I can't think of the other two categories, but there are people who don't need to see everything. You can explain mm-hmm. it to them and they get it. And then there are people who are kind of like in the middle somewhere. So if you have an understanding about what your learning, like what your learning style is, that'll help you to determine whether you should do ground school uh, before you you actually start flying. I think that for me, I'm a visual learner and doing ground school concurrent with my flight instruction was very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but other people have done ground, you know, they, they don't have the means to start flying, but they want to get the ground instruction out of the way. And that's fine. You know, I'm all for that. If you want to, you know, if you dive in and you're getting it and it's, it's sinking in and you even want to knock out the knowledge test before you start your flight mm-hmm. instruction or whatever, that's fine. It's, it's whatever works for your learning style. Yeah, I think that's good. And I think the other thing you said too, it was important, right? We all have different learning styles. So if, if you are somebody you want to knock it out and you try and you're struggling, don't let that make you think that you can't become a pilot, um, that you're struggling with that ground school. You just may not be able to learn in that format. And then when you get into the airplane, everything that you saw that was making your brain smoke all of a sudden starts making a lot of sense because absolutely. And, and that's not a deficiency on you as a pilot. That's just how you learn. And we all learn right. differently. And, and so you're going to find that that skill will help you in ways that say the visual or the um, somebody that maybe reads it, um, you know, you're going to have different strengths. So, um, and the other th- comment I kind of wanted to make, I always try to make sure I talk too much. Like if you ever talk to my wife, she'll tell you, I talk too much. So, and I, I listen to these podcasts and these shows and I go, man, why am I talking so much? Um, so, um, but I, I will say one thing that's important is that if you are somebody you can only fly, say once a week and, and going back to your point, Jill, about, you know, trying to get understanding for what your next lesson is, the flight simulators have become so good now, right? It's not yeah. a substitute. Well, sometimes depending on you're flying, the FAA actually will allow it if it's a, a certified a flight instructor. Uh, flight that's job. correct. But, um, but, you know, we call what we have what's called chair flying. Uh, I call it chair flying. 
Um, and so if you're a student pilot and somebody says, Hey, we're going to go work on turns around a point and we're going to work on touch and goes, you can do that in a flight simulator. Now it's not going to be the same. You're not going to have to see the pants, you know, and all that stuff, but you can get your flows. You can work on your emergency procedures, your flows for emergency procedures. You can work on all your V speeds. Um, and you can drive your family crazy. You can put up on, on um, atclive.net uh, and you can tune in your local um, airport. And you can hear people talking about, the, you know, the, how the air traffic controllers talk um, and how the pilots respond. These are all things you can do for the comfort of your own home. So, yes. um, so you know, so that if you can't fly more than once, uh, that is a way to help get yourself ready and do that homework for your next lesson. So I think that's yes. really good. Cool Excellent point. point. Um, now, um, do you, now AOPA, um, I want to kind of go back to some of the AOPA stuff. So sure. AOPA, one of the things that you guys, it's, I want you to talk a little bit about for us is how you guys are helping to keep airports open. I'm not sure if that's something that you specifically work on or if you have a lot of knowledge on, but it's something that's super important for, for our, 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 um, you know, for, for flying. Um, yes, we have an advocacy uh, department that works at the state and local and national levels to keep airports open. And, and that's a very big part of what AOPA is charged with, with doing for its members is to keep access to these airports. Um, there are so many airports that serve parts of the country that a, a major metropolitan airport just doesn't. And it's vital to keep these, uh, these airports open so that they can get emergency medical equipment and you know all kinds of stuff. In Alaska, where uh, almost everybody is a pilot, mm -hmm. it's critical to have <laughs> places for them to be able to land, um, you know, because there's so many, there's so much general aviation in Alaska because there are no roads, there are not no roads, but there are not as many roads. It's just very hard to get from point A to point B in a four-wheel vehicle. So um, yeah, it is a, it's a huge part of what we do at AOPA. I've talked to so many people in the last couple of months um, and almost every single one of them, their bucket list is always flying in Alaska. Um, so I think what we need to do and I think AOPA should help with this and I'll help organize is I think we should have a fly in to Alaska. And then we, all of us meet up in Seattle and we all take out little airplanes and we fly up, fly up to Alaska. Hey, sign me up. Um, I actually did fly in Alaska several years ago. I had an opportunity. I was in not Anchorage, not Juneau. I was in Juneau and I was on a cruise mm -hmm. and obviously this is way pre COVID. And I thought, I'm going to take my logbook. I'm going to see if there's any flight instructors in Juneau because we're going to spend like two days there. And I'm going to see if I can find one and, and fly around. And indeed, I did. He picked me up in downtown Juneau and took me out to the airport. He had a Texas tail dragger, which is a Cessna 150 uh, tail wheel mm -hmm. version. And we just flew around for an hour. Um, he took me to um, a couple of gravel strips. We didn't land, but we flew very close to them. It was, a, it was amazing. It was unlike any other flying I've done in my life. The scenery was unbelievable. And I want to say he charged me like $50. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> you didn't cover the cost of the fuel. <laughs> so. Well, that was his hourly rate, you know, and then I had some, you know, not too, I didn't have to spend too much on his airplane. So, you know, it was really, it was really amazing. You know, you, you have people who go to Alaska and they do charter flights and they're hundreds and hundreds of dollars. <laughs> That's great too. But this was, this was uh, to me far superior. Now, what is on a, on a personal level, what, what's on your bucket list you haven't done yet? aviation where would you like to go or what would you like to do oh okay so um it's funny you should ask because right before you and i started chatting i was watching the alton bay new hampshire uh feed on facebook alton bay is the only charted ice runway in the lower 48 states oh cool I'll check that out uh this is up in new hampshire and right now, now last year it was way warm and they never got ice thick enough for airplanes to land. 
but this year they're already at 10 inches. They like to be at 12 inches. And I'm thinking that I might grab somebody and fly me, fly myself up to uh, New Hampshire and land on an ice runway. Oh, that is cool. Now, do you, do they use special tires or, I mean, do you use a standard aviation tire or? Every, anybody goes in. Now you need to be on your game. They, uh, oh, yeah. They, Imagine they, with a tailwheel too. <laughs> you can't just go, you know, traipsing in there and hope for the best. And they do have, you, you, you look on YouTube, you'll see some videos of people who were not on their game. <laughs> uh, let's just put it that way. I'm not going to, you know, there before the grace of God go I. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, right. We all have our but, moments. <laughs> you know, if you, they're, they're, uh, Pilots and I've known I know a couple pilots who've flown in there and they say if you know if you're you know if you're on your game and you know what to expect and your airspeeds are good, you know the important thing is you're not going to hit the brakes on a nice <laughs> runway. That's true. You know it's about twenty twenty three hundred feet. Okay, that's not really long though when you think about your on ice. Um, I, I I could just imagine actually I'm gonna, so that's um so that's Alton Bay, New Hampshire. So correct. All right, I'm gonna go look that up because I want to see some people with tailwheels in the wind land on that thing. I, I would imagine that there's not much of a crosswind, uh, you know, <laughs> component. They probably shut that thing down pretty quick if there's a crosswind. Um, I think so. Um, I think mostly the wind is out of the north when you land up there. Okay. All right. So. Yeah, I, I can just, um, you know, I, if I try landing it, I'd probably look like one of those figure skaters doing a spin. <laughs> no, 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 so. no, no, no. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I was talking to Amy uh, Hoover and um, uh, Dick Williams. Uh, they're famous for mountain flying, and um, so I was talking to them last week, and uh, we were talking about tailwheels and you know, uh, and wind, you know, uh, wind vaning and all that fun stuff. Uh, oh I can only gosh. imagine that in um, on, on ice. Um, you know, we'll be the first people to put uh, what do they call them on? Um, I used to live in New York, uh, in Rochester, New York, so uh, we're familiar with snow. And ice. Yeah. Um, so, so have you flown on skis? I have not. I have not. Um, you know, and, and I really, I really want to. So there's a bunch of bucket list items, but my number one is I definitely want to fly Alaska, but I feel <laughs> like if I'm going to fly Alaska, I should also learn how to fly on a ski. Um, but I'll, I'll, for, I'll probably stick initially to just landing on pavement. Um, okay. but, uh, but that sounds really fun. Um, so, all right. So, so that's your bucket list is the land on ice. Yes. All right. I, I can be I can be fair and honest that I've never ever heard a pilot say that their bucket list item was to land on ice. So so that's really good. Well, you know, I'm blessed because I, I work for AOPA and you know, a lot of people have gone to the Bahamas on their bucket list, mm-hmm. you know, been been there and done that twice. Uh going to Oshkosh, flown myself three times. Yep. Um, you know, so <laughs> Now, are you planning on, um, now you probably don't have, you might have information. I don't know if you can share it with us. Are, are they looking at Oshkosh this year? Or are we thinking we're going to be you back know, into it or? I, um, I've, I've got my ear to the ground and the, the latest I heard was that they, that there, a, a decision might be made May 1st. Okay. Um, but your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, it's just, it, it, it always has to do with, um, keeping, you know, we, we've had to push back our own events, uh, for 2021 sure. because of the fact of, you know, COVID vaccination distribution has, has not gone as swiftly as we would have liked. Right. And, uh, and, uh, you know, it's, EA, it's a huge event. EAA is just going to have to, um, make that decision. Yeah. We're looking forward to it. I hope, um, for, so for those actually, you know what, let's do this. Cause a lot of our, I got to remind myself that half of our listeners are going to be kids. And they probably don't know what Oshkosh is. Now, that being said, um, our Civil Air Patrol kids may have a better chance of knowing Oshkosh is because we have an encampment there. Um, but, um, but for those that are listening that don't know what Oshkosh is, how would you explain Oshkosh? Oshkosh, well, its real name is EAA AirVenture, and it is a seven-day airplane party with mm-hmm. 700,000 people. You are immersed in airplanes all day, every day, you're with your people. Right. You know, um, it's, it's just a wonderful event. And there's tons of things for young people to do. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, Ford is there. They, they come in with stuff, you know, it, it, every kind of airplane you can imagine. The stuff that 
it's, we have Oshkosh will have historic airplanes and warbirds, but they will also have mock-ups of what's new and big and coming down the pike. Last year, um, um, well, not last year because we didn't have it. They didn't have it. But uh, 2019, there were tons of mock-ups of uh, th these, um, you know, uh, airplanes that are going to be unmanned and and carrying people. Um, and they have a name that's escaping me at the moment. Uh, <laughs> but they're, you know, it's uh, a lot of people are putting a lot of money into this. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's very interesting. Yeah, you know, the uh, two things on that. Um, number one, we talk about student pilots, right? Um, folks that are learning to fly, one thing I want you to understand is that general aviation pilot's license, that is your ticket to so many incredible things that people just on this planet don't get to do ever. Um, I mean, mankind has only been flying for a little over a hundred years. And, you know, so in the grand scheme of things, it's barely a blink of an eye. And, you know, if you are lucky enough to actually get yourself into an airplane, even for the, you know, seven or 8 billion people that live on this world today, a very small percentage of that seven or 8 billion have been in an airplane, let alone being able to fly an airplane. Um, and so, so things like Oshkosh, things like, uh, I know for, uh, we just had sun and fun down here in Florida. Um, they, they canceled the initial fun, sun and fun and they kind of did like a little impromptu one. Um, but Oshkosh, uh, being able to take, you know, uh, for our kids, uh, our cadets, uh, if you've got a boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, and you're, you, you say, Hey, I'm going to take you to New York city for dinner. Right. <laughs> um, man. It's hard to compete up against that if you're if you're if you're on the dating of uh, the dating uh, game. Um, I mean, I've I've known people who have gone to concert. I, I took my son to see Aerosmith in a general mm -hmm. aviation airplane. Um, I've known other people who've flown to concerts. Um, I know people who fly to uh, they go to spring training um, at you know for Major League Baseball, yep. the spring training cities, and follow their teams, or they'll go to city city to go to the different ballparks. You know, you can incorporate general aviation into almost every aspect of what you're already interested in, and it makes it better, you know? Yep. <laughs> yep. Now, I know, and I, not to uh, elaborate on Oshkosh, but one thing I just want to add, because uh, I know it's EAA, but um, Oshkosh, again, it's all one big community, right? Civil Air Patrol, AOPA, EAA, we're, we, all, we have different areas that we work in, but we are one community. Yes. Um, and so with Oshkosh, I'll tell you one of the coolest things I did and, and no, you just can't do this unless you're a pilot. So I, one year I flew in, um, a, a 172. So now my, so just so you don't, you don't know me. So I, one of the things I love about your last name is Tallman, right? So how, is, is it tall, is it tall man or tall? How do you say your last name? It's Tallman. Tallman. So I am a Tallman. So I am six foot eight. <laughs> so dear lord you are a tallman <laughs> right I, I feel like i should be able to come to your uh your holiday parties <laughs> just just by the fact that i'm six foot eight i should be able to blend in with the tallman family um but i'm six foot eight and i'm about 290 pounds so i am not a small man and i had my uncle uh we went to oshkosh together my uncle is not that much smaller than me and so uh we were in a 172 and for folks that don't know a 172 is not that wide of an airplane it's a fairly narrow airplane and so I was the pilot. I had to fly with my right arm around his back and he, and he was using his left hand to control the fuel, but, um, the throttle, but anyways, but, um, we miscommunicated and it was the most miserable night of my life. And it was followed up by the most amazing morning of my life. He, we miscommunicated on who was bringing the tent and who was bringing sleeping bags <laughs> and I had nothing to sleep in. Um, so I tried throwing on some extra clothes and it got so cold. I ended up going into the airplane, trying to sleep inside of an airplane, which isn't comfortable, especially in 172. And, um, and so anyways, I couldn't sleep all night long. Now the sun's coming up, it's August. So the sun's coming up, it's like it's almost six o'clock, I think, give or take in the morning. And I'm the only person up. There's, now when you fly into Oshkosh, you're inside the fence. So there's no security. Um, I mean, if there is, there's not much. Um, so I'm up and I'm just walking around and there's nobody up yet. The sun is in, I want to paint the picture here. The sun is rising and I'm over in the World War II area. And I'm in row after row after row of World War II fighters, including mm -hmm. P-51s with all the chrome. Right. And 
the sun was rising and the sunshine was shining. The sunrise was shining onto the P-51s and just, you couldn't see any other airplanes. You couldn't see that you were in, it was as close as you could possibly feel to if you woke up in the middle of a World War II, you know, fighter base during World War II. There sure. was no visible, you know, there was nobody else there that wasn't World War II airplane. Right. Um, and there was nobody there with me. And it was just the most awe-inspiring thing. And again, for those of you that, again, not to be long-winded about that, because I know I talk too much, but um, for those of you that are interested in learning how to fly, that pilot's license is what gets you the ticket to do those things. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were somebody that came that day uh, in a car and wanted to see the air show, you weren't going to be there at six o'clock in the morning during the sunrise by yourself um, with those airplanes. So, right. Um, so, anyway, sorry, for, I just wanted to tell it, the story real quick. But um, yeah, of course. So, so now, what is some now AOPA? Um, one of the things I think is really important for folks to understand about AOPA is that if you're having a problem with the FAA. You may call or write to them and they may not answer the phone. Likely they won't, especially if you're calling Cami. <laughs> but, um, but, um, but AOPA does an incredible job and I'm hoping I'm going to have somebody on from your medical uh, division at some point. But, um, oh, that would be awesome. I, 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 I can't say enough about our medical certification team. They have their own fan club mm-hmm. um, at the air shows and Sun and Fun and Oshkosh. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll be there and they'll have these pilots come up and say, Hey, I love you. You keep, you know, you saved my medical and everything. And, and it's because they work so hard for folks. Yeah. They're really incredible. And, and you, you have a phone number to call and you have an advocate to help you through the system and the FAA. I love the people at the FAA. They're just not funded enough and their team is too small. Um, and so they can take a really long time to get back to you on things. Um, and whereas, you know, AOPA, they're there, the, the, you know, um, I remember talking with one person, he said, listen, he goes, we want you all to be members. He goes, but if you just had a quick question, you may, you know, we want you to be members long-term. Um, so, you know, we might be able to help you answer a quick question, even if you're not a member, you know, in the hopes that you become a member. Um, right. so, so one thing on, um, uh, you mentioned where we talked about the medicals, uh, I, and I want to ask you about, I think you had a trip with John and Martha King. We actually had a video with John and Martha just a couple of weeks ago. And, um, and John, um, specifically John and myself, we both had issues with CAMI, which is, uh, for those folks that don't know, that's the group in the FAA that deals with the medicals. Um, and both, you know, John had a thing with him and I had taken a medication that I didn't know was on the FAA, no go list. Um, and that really, that caused me quite a bit of hassle. Um, I can only imagine. Yeah. It was about four and a half months and it was for something really silly. Um, so, but anyways, that's where AOPA can really help um, you out. And, and yeah, also, we, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, we, the, our team of cert- medical certification specialists, this is all they do all day, every day. And they know the, they know the regs, they know the rules, and they have contacts within the FAA. Um, I feel like they work magic you know, <laughs> because they can make a call and get an, get a response sometimes, not all the time, but a lot of times, but they do know their stuff. And, you know, and I, I would encourage, um, uh, what we're seeing a lot with young student pilots is, um, previous diagnoses of ADD. Oh, yeah. And, uh, if that is a concern, I urge you to call AOPA and talk to somebody there before you go in to right. get your medical certificate, they will walk you through the hoops that you're gonna to have to jump. Unfortunately, if you have a diagnosis of ADD or a previous diagnosis, there are gonna be hoops that you've gotta go through uh, to get that medical, but they will walk you through that, tell you what to expect. Yeah, and also um, for those of us a little bit older, um, and as well as some younger folks, uh, if you have diabetes, um, that is another one that you absolutely, you should call AOPA, have them walk you through it. If you go to your AME, your air medic, um, airman medical examiner, if you go to your air doctor, um, first and you put something on a form that's sent to the FAA, you're kind of locked in on that answer. Um, yeah. and AOPA will really help. The other thing I'm going to put a link in our video description, um, cause AOPA from a medical perspective also has a list they, they do, frankly, you guys do a better job than the government, um, for having 
easily re readable lists of the medications, um, you know, and so if you're a pilot or if you're going to be working on your student pilot, um, you want to understand what medications you're on, um, you know, prior to telling the FAA what medications you're on. Exactly. So, and it's important also to check uh, whatever over-the-counter medications you, you mm -hmm. may be taking. The FAA has opinions about those as well. Um, you may be like, for example, something like Benadryl that you might take because you had an allergy or you had, um, you know, sinus infection. You have to wait. A, there's a waiting period um, mm -hmm. before you can get back in an airplane uh, after you've taken Benadryl. So you need to check that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so those are all really important things. So I'm going to put a link to that down below. Um, now, Jill, um, you had mentioned in our talk before we started that you had taken a special flight with John and Martha. So what was that all about? Well, I was saying, you said you've, you've had John and Martha on your show, and I said that they're a very tough act to follow mm -hmm. in terms of entertainment and knowledge and everything else. And um, it reminded me that I, I had the pleasure and the unique opportunity to fly with John and Martha. I want to say this was 10 to 15 years ago. We were going to go to the Women in Aviation Conference, which was to be held in Cincinnati at that time. And John and Martha, <clears throat> John and Martha came to AOPA and uh, they gave myself and another AOPA colleague a ride. At the time, they had a Falcon jet. Mm -hmm. I don't believe they have that anymore. I think they might have a Citation jet. I think a Citation jet. Um, uh, but the, at the time, they had a Falcon jet. And so we got a private jet ride from John and Martha to Cincinnati in the Falcon jet. So that was one thing. It's like a private jet ride to Cincinnati with John and with Martha. John Martha. I know. <laughs> and then the second thing was that um, the first leg, well, the one leg from Frederick, Maryland to Cincinnati, Ohio, Martha flew mm -hmm. and John sat in the right seat. Martha was pilot in command, but John sat in the right seat and he did the radios and he did the navigation and stuff. And it was um, pretty, it was clear when we left Frederick, but it got pretty hard IFR by the time that we um, landed in Cincinnati. And, and Martha handled that Falcon jet like a champ. Mm -hmm. I mean, she knows her stuff. And I later found out that they, they do that. They deliberately had Martha fly that leg for a reason. They do that with people that have never flown with them before because they want people to know what an, well, I don't know if they want people to know, but they want to, to um, show that Martha is an awesome pilot. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and so the next leg they would switch and, and John would be, you know, pilot in command and she would do the radios. But for that trip, since she had, they had never flown with us, they wanted, you know, it, it was Martha. It was Martha as PIC, which I think is amazing. I, I just think they're an amazing couple. So, yeah, we had, um, John is always the first person when, whenever he's talking to people about flying with Martha, he always says she's just a little bit better than him. <laughs> um, but he's always clear to give her that credit. And, um, and I, I know, um, I, I'm going to do the whole YouTuber thing here, right? So I got to see which side am I pointing on. Let's see. I got to point this way. No, other way. <laughs> so I'm going to put a link up here to that video uh, with John and Martha. Because one of the things, and you might be interested in hearing about this too. John, I, I asked, so um, I had gotten some questions from some f people in different forums to ask John and Martha. Um, and one of the questions I thought was kind of a throwaway question and kind of a joke question. And it was honestly the best answered question that they did the whole interview. And that was, how do you get along with flying with your spouse? And at first I thought that was just a joke. And they had very real opinions and ways of making sure that they fly together in such a way that they support each other. And, you know, it's not, well, hey, you know, you're above the glide slope. You know, you're below the glide slope, you know, what are you doing? You know, right. it, it doesn't come off like that. Um, you know, cause all of us that are married, I know our kids that are listening, they're like, oh, you know, married people, you know, but, um, you know, married people, even if we love each other, we can get on each other's nerves sometimes. <laughs> um, and when you get into high stress situations, which you can get into airplanes, sometimes, you know, the, uh, that can come out a little bit. And they had very, I mean, I think he spent about 15 minutes, both of them talking about, you know, flying with your spouse. Um, and, and to be honest with you, that may be a wonderful article for AOPA. <laughs> um, it was really a fantastic conversation. I just didn't expect it all. Um, 
Well, when you consider they've made a career of flying with each other, um, you know, they've got it down. They've got it down pat. So yeah. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't surprise it doesn't surprise me at all. But, you know, it's it's um, I, I have heard of of, of people, uh, you know, the, the husband learned to fly first and then the wife did and they get mm. into the cockpit together for the first time. And she's allegedly piloting command and all of a sudden he's barking and saying my controls and this and this and that and the other. And, you know, you have to you have to work it out ahead of time. Everybody has to have a job. So, yeah, one thing uh, I'm not going to say who says this because uh, I'll get in trouble with that group. But um, there's been some studies done. And I'm sorry, guys, they say the women are really, really good pilots, even compared to us guys. So, um, are. You, women, <laughs> so um, I know we have the macho attitudes sometimes in these airplanes, but uh, these women are really awesome pilots. Um, and I really promote women in aviation. Um, I have two girls myself, um, and I'm taking one of them on a flight, uh, actually both of them on pretty long distance cross country flights here in a couple of months. Um, and they're both excited and I've had them flying since they were four or five years old in the airplane. Oh, that's awesome. And thank you for doing that. I, you know, I tell women, um, all the time that flying is the best thing you can do for yourself because it'll mm -hmm. give you confidence in ways you can hardly imagine. Um, I started learning to fly when I was 40. I was not, a, um, a young person, um, and so I, it, it took me a little bit longer to get things. And once I realized that, you know, I'm not a spring chicken, I'm not mm -hmm. going to get this right away. I gave myself a break and I pl continued to plow on through and I was able to finish up. Um, and I tell women, you know, but, but at the same time, so I'm learning to fly. And at the same, around the same time, I started uh, training to get a black belt in Taekwondo. Yay. And I <laughs> never would have done that if it hadn't been for the fact that I was learning to fly an airplane at the time, because, you know, it really puts things into, pers for a lot of women, it puts things into perspective, you know, it, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're scared about talking in front of people, or mm -hmm. if you're scared about this, or you're scared about that, all you got to think is, all you got to remember is that I can fly an airplane. <laughs> right. I can do this. I can, I can talk to a group of people at the PTA and mm -hmm. I can, you know, I can drive by myself across the country and, you know, everything else just kind of shrinks and rolls. <laughs> so. Yeah. I'm not sure if you know who this is. Again, I'll do the YouTuber thing, you know, the link, actually the way uh, I'll put a link up here. Um, Cecilia Aragon. Does that name sound familiar to you? Cecilia Aragon? Cecilia? No, but you know, if I see her face, maybe I might yeah. know. So Cecilia Aragon is the first Latina pilot on the U.S. Aerobatics team. And okay. she got all the way to being ranked fourth in women in the entire world and ranked also fourth men or women on the U.S. team. Mm -hmm. um, and so we had a really nice long conversation about women in aviation. And she had talked, same thing you just said, about, um, you know, she was really shy and, you know, can I do different things? And aviation was that light switch for her. Um, where she got into an airplane and, you know, even, I hate to say it, you know, there is still some ma men in aviation that are, uh, jerks, <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know another nice way of saying it. Um, and she had to fight a little bit. You said it, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and so, you know, she had to fight a little bit through that, but, um, listen, she's a fourth ranked us, you know, aerobatics pilot and, you know, and, um, and so let alone the first, you know, a Latina pilot. And, um, so, you know, just, so again, we go back to the question about the, with the, the parents, right? So if, if you're a parent listening to this with your student pilot, if you're a younger student pilot, or if you're, uh, you're a woman, you know, wanting, I don't care if you're 50 years old and you want to get into aviation, don't let anybody tell you that you can't do it. Um, you know, if that's something you want to do, go for it. It's never too late to learn. We get people who are in their 60s and 70s mm -hmm. uh, learning to fly. And, and like I said previously, um, you people who are uh, learning to fly and who are a little bit older, um, they actually make very good student pilots because mm -hmm. they're cautious and uh, they know the risks involved and, um, they, and they apply themselves really well. They're not real frivolous. It will take, it will take older people a little bit longer mm -hmm. and, they, and you have to recognize that and you have to say it's okay. Um, Bob, uh, we talk about 
How many hours did it take for you to solo? How many hours mm. did you have when you got your check ride? Yeah, did like it's get, a competition. Yeah. Did you have 40? Did you have 41? Mm. You know, uh, <laughs> you're only competing against yourself. You're only competing against yourself. You know, you're not competing with anybody else. And it doesn't matter that the kid in your class soloed with um, nine and a half hours and it took you 15. Right. It doesn't matter. You both are going to get a pilot certificate. <laughs> right. It doesn't, like yeah, this. you don't need a different colored one based on how many <laughs> yes. hours for your solo. <laughs> right. And yeah, taking longer is going to have a little, a little bit of more of an impact on your, or your wallet. Mm -hmm. um, but at the, you know, you just have to, you have, you just have to deal with that fact and, um, and know in the long run that you're going to be as safe as you can possibly be when you're ready to take your check ride when you, or when you solo. And I always get, it always drives me crazy when people are like, oh, I got done say 60 hours just to throw a number out. Right. Um, and they, you know, people say, well, I want to save money. So I want to be done by 60 hours. I want those people to understand, especially if you're one of those people listening to this, when you get done and get your pilot's license, Flying doesn't become free. <laughs> so um, if you're going to keep flying after you get your pilot's license, when you get to 80 hours, you just spent the same amount of money for the most part as the other person who took 80 hours to get their pilot's license. Um, they may have some extra time with an instructor, but enjoy that time. Um, right. Soak it up. I mean, you can have just as much fun flying as a student pilot as, you know, somebody who's got their pilot's license and flying. So right. um, really enjoy that time. It's just, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, yes. I think it's a good point. So, yes. so Jill, is there anything that you wanted to add? I see that uh, I've kind of kept you a little long, but um, is there anything you wanted to add to anybody that's listening? Oh, I just want to sh give a shout out to all the CAP cadets. Um, we've had CAP cadets come and work at our air shows and events, and they are so disciplined and um, I'm so proud of them when they come out. Uh, they do what they're asked to do and they do it well. And I think that CAP is a great organization. Um, and I hope that everybody gets the chance to fly. And again, www.aopa.org, 1-800-USA-AOPA. Um, uh, call with your questions. You don't have to be a member. It helps if you're a member. Right. We would like <laughs> you to be a member. <laughs> we want you to be a member, yeah. but you know what? Call, uh, call or um, you know, go on the website. And uh, we would love to help you reach your aviation goal, whether that be to fly for fun or to fly professionally or to fly a drone or what, what or to, you know, to volunteer for Civil Air Patrol. We would love to help you get there. Awesome. Well, Jill, I, I, like I said before, we are all part of one larger community. Uh, we have kind of our little side things that we do in the community. But, um, you know, as a member of CAP, I want to thank you for everything that you do personally, as well as everything that the folks at AOPA do. Um, I, I personally had an airport near up near, um, near Buffalo, New York, um, that people bought houses near an active airport and then started to complain about the fact that there's airplanes flying at an airport that they bought a house at when the airport was already there. Um, yeah. And AOPA had to really come in and they really, we kept the airport and um, it was really through the help of AOPA as well as some other organizations that really allowed for that. Um, and so really, you know, on, on a personal level, thank you to everybody at AOPA for everything that you guys do. Well, um, we're, we're happy to help. I'm glad we were able to help in that instance. Sounds great. All right, Jill. Well, if nothing else, I think that we are done here. Um, and then we'll just talk to you soon. I hope to meet you sometime. If you go to Oshkosh, um, I'm a big believer, like I said, in community. So hopefully sometime, you know, we, I'll get to meet you at an Oshkosh or an air venture or a son of fun, or who knows what we're going to have. So we'll so. count on it. Things are going to open back up and we'll get a chance to meet. Hopefully, hopefully in a couple of months. So, all right, Jill, thank you so much. I hope you have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, so what I'm going to do, Jill, is I'm going to go do um, the outro, and then I'll be right back, and I'll say goodbye formally. So, okay. All right, I'll be right back. All right, everybody, that was our conversation with Jill Tillman. Um, actually, let me say it again. I said your last name wrong. I said Tillman. That's <laughs> Tillman. Uh, all right, everybody, that was our conversation with Jill Tillman from AOPA. Again, she's one of the technical editors for the AOP magazines. 
Um, if you haven't already, please go ahead and check out the AOP website. Uh, I'm going to put a link to that down below. They are an incredibly important organization and resource, frankly, uh, for all of us inside of aviation. Um, they really, without them, a lot of airports wouldn't exist. Without them, a lot of pilots, uh, they would be grounded because they wouldn't have their medical certificates. And without them, we would have a lot of student pilots who wouldn't, um, who just need a little bit extra push and motivation um, to get their, their certificates. Um, so they really do a fantastic job and it's really a worthwhile organization for you to uh, become involved in. Um, with that, again, my name is Bob Roberts, aerospace education officer here with Civil Air Patrol. Um, if you wanted to find us in other uh, social media platforms uh, on the podcast, if you want to listen to this as opposed to watching it, you can go to aerospace-live, search for that, and you'll find uh, our podcast. If you want to go and follow us on Twitter, uh, we have a brand new Twitter account. I think we have like nine followers. We're really excited about our nine followers. Um, that's aerospace underscore live. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll promote the new shows that we're doing there. Um, and then if you want to uh, follow us on YouTube, you can go to my personal YouTube channel, which is kind of like a, um, a weird offshoot for Civil Air Patrol. And that's uh, slash Robert Roberts. And um, it, we have our guest interviews as well as our aerospace lessons here. So with that, I hope you all had a great time and we will talk to you soon. Bye everyone.